Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Simon Bishop, the co-founder of GDPR Systems. GDPR Systems work with franchisors to help them have peace of mind that their network of franchisees are meeting their data protection legal requirements. They do this by utilizing their unique GDPR management software and deploying across the franchise, working closely with each individual member of the network. Business was formed in 2017 and they are now working with brands across the franchising community, including sectors such as healthcare, fitness, food and beverage, and children's activities. And we're going to hear more about Simon's career story and how he built GDPR Systems in just a moment. But before we do, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about our sponsors for today's episode, Symphony. So Symphony is an outsourced customer support service for franchisors, franchisees and other businesses so that you can focus on growing your business while they take care of your calls, emails and web chats. Basically, they are there to help you and your business respond at the point where customers are most interested in your product or service, even if you aren't available or you're busy working for another client. By letting Symphony take the strain, their team of customer service experts will respond to your customers' inquiries and questions quickly and accurately while keeping them happy and coming back for more. Their expertly trained team provides live chat, email response, social media management and phone call handling 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, meaning you'll never miss an opportunity. To find out more about Symphony and their services for franchisees and franchisors, make sure you visit www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised. Now, Simon actually joined me in this studio live face to face, you know, <laughs> not just on Zoom for this one. Um, so feel free to check out the video that we recorded. It's on YouTube on uh, the, the franchise music channel. Music channel? Video channel. Anyway, if you're happy with just the audio entertainment um, that we're providing on this podcast, then let's jump into the interview here and now. So here we go. This is my interview with Simon Bishop, co-founder of GDPR Systems. Hope you enjoy it and I'll see you on the other side. So, Simon Bishop, welcome to The Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, although I just rubbed my eye and it's watering, <laughs> so, and I'm conscious we're in your sort of brand new studio and it's very posh and very fancy and there's cameras everywhere and yeah, I really don't want to be in 4K, thank you very much, but you know, it's good, it's good. <laughs> no, it's all good. Well, how's, how's everything in your world at the moment? Busy. Other than being intimidated by the room. Yeah, I'm going to try and ignore all of that. Yeah, busy, uh, busy, which is good. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose we'll get into it at some point, but data protection is not anything that massively floats everybody's boat. Um, but yeah, really busy, really busy. Fantastic. We'll start off then with your first job. Uh, a bit of a difficult one, really. Um, I, I had loads of jobs. Um, so I remember when I was 16, uh, apart from the paper round stuff, which everybody says. Yeah, yeah. When I was 16, uh, back in the day, Halford used to go along the high street and they started launching uh, superstores. And they, one of their flagship superstores was in Shirley in Birmingham. So I, I walked in and I applied for a job there to go for an interview. So I, I was there till I was about 20. All right. And so I went like part-time, full-time and everything else. But I suppose after leaving university, because that's what prompted me to go to university really, because I didn't want to work at Alfred's full-time. <laughs> we got to do this. I did it for a year. I realised I didn't want to do it. Um, I, I worked for, God, this is going back, uh, Rover Finance. Oh, okay. Um, 
just in their evening team. So they had like a graveyard shift team. Um, yeah, just when somebody applied for finance for a car, the underwriters would agree the finance or not. And the job title, we were called fax backers. F- fax backers? Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is, I'm showing my age now, but you had to send the decision from the underwriters by fax to the dealership. Yeah, wow. So that was, that was the job. It was like about eight of us doing this job because it was busy because there was no real internet of any description. So that's how you communicated. So people apply for finance, decision gets agreed or, or denied, and then you fax it's it back over. to the dealership. Yeah, it wasn't massively exciting, but it, it's a good group of people, so it's good fun. That, well, it's interesting to me because, I mean, when I got into the office environment, there was still fax machines around. I, I remember faxing uh, CVs over yeah. to clients and timesheets and that kind of thing, but... I never knew somebody had that as just their job. I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's an important part, isn't it? You know, you, you, now you can get finance decisions online. You can, you, it's instantaneous, isn't it? Yeah. But back then, and, and then you, you had the opportunity as well to, if a decision came back as pending, you could go and speak to the underwriters and say, look, what's going on with this one? Because they're all in the same building because you didn't have remote teams or anything then. So it was, had advantages. Yeah. Disadvantages, it was clearly very slow. So, but it was good. It, it, it was a good introduction into, I use the term loosely, but I guess the real world. Yeah. You know, these were sort of grown-ups doing proper jobs and everything else, whereas really all the other jobs I'd had were part-time or summer jobs or, you know, with some good ones. I had some good jobs. I enjoyed them. But, yeah, this was kind of the first proper grown-up one. Yeah, so it, you kind of, um, outside of retail, you, you you kind of think, actually, now this is the real world, especially when you're in that office environment, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, I remember the same thing happened to me. I, I put on marquees for eight years after I left school. Yeah. And yeah, when I got into the office and the phone started ringing, I was like, oh God, it's real now. <laughs> yeah. Because back then I didn't really have a, a computer at home no. and didn't really have a telephone particularly. I had a no. mobile phone that I used occasionally for text messages, but it was, wow, this is serious all of a sudden. So uh, yeah, I can empathise with you completely there. But you mentioned about um, education. So what did you go on to study at university? So I, yeah, it's a bit convoluted, but I, I started doing sport. Okay. Um, but there wasn't really anything different in the degree than there was at A-level. It just wasn't very interesting. So um, after the first year, I changed and I did social studies, but God, this sounds right up my own back end. Um, I did a double major in psychology and sociology. And um, was that with a, a goal in mind or a career in mind? No, because I'd gone to university, I'd spent a year working at Halfords, I'd gone from part-time to full-time, um, was like managing one of the teams there in the cycle department, so I was a biomechanic essentially, and, and I just thought, well, I, d- I don't really want to do this, on a serious note, I, d- I don't really want to do this forever, and, and there was a career path there, you know, in retail, I thought this isn't for me, so I thought, well, we'll go, go to university and have that experience um, but there were some interesting elements like you know sociology of crime and things like that was just really interesting yeah yeah it's, I can imagine it, it is it, and that I think that's why I did it because it interested me um, but did, it's been useful did you um, pick up anything around kind of how to communicate with people though because I, I sometimes feel like that's part of that course is or that that's something useful that could come out of a course like that is the ability to then understand what the other person's thinking and and kind of read some of the signs about their their psychology and their personality to then help you to be able to communicate more effectively with them i think it's a big field and and weirdly it sort of had more an important part with parenting because we did do a whole section on parenting and understanding the 
the psychological growth of a child, which is you know slightly off topic, but you know that works. Um, so however, you've, you've cracked parenting. Yeah, yeah, what you're right. saying? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be sat here if I cracked parenting. <laughs> <would I? laughs> um, but interestingly, then going after that and going in various jobs after that, a lot more psychometric testing came on board and things like that, and it's it's really interesting that you get to understand the tests and the key trigger questions that are going to lead to whatever the results of that test are. So where, where did you go after that? Was that to the the Rover Finance? Yeah, so I graduated and then basically the Rover Finance was up the road um, and they were hiring and yep. it was a big company. So, you know, knocked on the door, asked a question and yeah, fine. But then a couple of years after that, um, Lombard were part owners and at the time, um, Rover got bought out by BMW. Okay. So all the finance mechanism went to BMW Finance, as you'd imagine. So then, because Lombard owned half the company, they moved the operation to Enfield. I moved a, a sort of double-edged thing with my band, um, lived with some people I'd lived with at university, um, uh, or worked, uh, worked with at university, shared a house in London, in Ealing, spent a year living in London, um, and commuting to Enfield. Um, and then I ended up from that, um, that was Lombard Business Equipment Leasing. So it moved from Rover Finance to Got that. You. And then from that, we dealt with um, finance brokers. Okay. So I went to work for a finance broker after that. Um, very small company. Um, wanted to set up a car finance division. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I was going to say, how did you find the change? Because I know for some people, they are like big company people, right? They, they like yeah. being in that environment and see the path that they, they um, can follow, you know, within their career. Whereas other people prefer the, the smaller yeah. business where you have to make things happen and no one else is going to kind of show you the path. And yeah. I'd never had any experience of that. And uh, I mean, you always look back on your career and think, actually, I've realised now that that was a useful experience. But at the time, sometimes you sat twiddling your thumbs because the, the mentality of a small business is always to be doing something. And the, the managing director and co-owner was always busy, even if there was nothing to do, was always busy. Yeah. And I was only a kid then, really, to be fair. Um, but I, I get it now. Absolutely, I get it now. But back then, I'm like... Well, I've done my work, I've done my bits, well, what else is there to do? So it, was, it, it lasted about a year and they made me redundant. Um, so we got a few deals on the table, but they decided not to carry on with car financing. Although I did have a Golf GTI as a company car for a year, so I was quite happy about that. <laughs> not massively into cars, but it was nice. <laughs> I love it. That's that's really good little um, bonus, I guess, on the side, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do, do remember somebody saying to me, because I, I, I don't like cars particularly, as in they're just expensive, they just cost money. Yeah. But I thought, well, if I'm going to go anywhere... Um, I'm going to have a company car. I didn't know anything, anything. And somebody said to me, so my old boss at Lombard said, yeah, but you're going to pay company car tax. To which my response was, no, they're going to pay all that, thinking it meant like road fund license tax. Yeah. No, I didn't know anything about company car tax. So you get your first pay slip and you're like, the hell's all that? Where's that gone? Because it's a benefit in kind, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't know any of that. So, <laughs> so, yeah, slightly weird, but yeah, good experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm never really ma been massively into cars. And I remember um, my interview for my first recruitment job. I got asked the question, I was put on the spot, what are you going to buy if you make loads of commission? And I was like, a car. Because this is the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. I needed a car that was better than the Metro that I had at that point yeah. in time. And... The guy was super into cars. He said, oh, wow, what cars are you into then? What's what's your favourite one? And I was like, Lamborghini. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's the dream because <laughs> I didn't even have any concept of how much commission was going to be yeah, at that yeah, point. So yeah. it was just yeah, Lamborghini, and the look on his face was like, man, this might this guy's either really good or he's yeah. really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a dangerous combination of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it turns out I probably was a, combination yeah, yeah. Of both, yeah. a brilliant idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that that's good. So, um, so after after that company, then, but yeah, sort of talk me through how you got to how you got to GDPR system. Oh God, yeah. So so after that, I went to work as a sales rep for Auto Trader magazine. Okay, um, which was good. And actually, it's, it's always a baptism of fire. So. Back in those days, you wore a shirt and tie or a suit with a briefcase and stuff. And the, the field sales role, that's what it was. Um, you had to walk onto um, car dealers' forecourts, both franchised dealerships and used car dealers. Used car dealers aren't renowned for being particularly polite to salespeople. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you earn your teeth, you cut your teeth on that. Um, they were walking onto a shouting of expletives to get off my property. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? But yeah, it, 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 it tough, toughens you up, though, yeah, doesn't 100%. it? Yeah, for, for for sales in general. Yeah, to accept that not everybody wants to speak to you, and well, yeah, you're but, get some no's. But actually, it it, it it it's a bit more than just sort of toughening because it, it's not very nice when somebody's shouting that stuff at no. you. But after a while, you kind of stop thinking that's not very nice, and you start thinking, all right, well, how can I get them to listen? Because you know, I don't walk here in a crowbar trying to force you to buy anything. I've just got something of value, but you. People often work on the stereotype of what a salesperson is, and they just like kick you out first, you know, before you get chance to say anything because they don't want to be hoodwinked into anything. That's it, yeah. That's, that's the perception, anyway. Certainly in this country, it's like a dirty word, isn't it? Yeah, Being in yeah, sales. definitely. Whereas actually, every single business has to be in sales. It's that simple. You know, you can't have a, a product or a service without somebody needing to buy it for your business to be successful. Uh, so that 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 was kind of the the in my head was the turning point in terms of I'm not, I've never, I've never sold anything to anyone ever, but helping them understand why they want to buy it and why they should buy it so they can make an informed decision. That's a whole different mentality. Yeah. Um, so I'm not bothered if people even now say to me, I'm, I'm sorted for data protection. Okay. Well, I know you're not regardless of what we do. I know you're not because there's a lot more to it than you know, but that's okay. So I, you know, I can still help you whether you buy anything or not. Yeah. So I'll ask you a couple of questions. If you can answer those and you're on your way, great. Thank you very much. You're sorted. But pretty much most people aren't. Yeah, I think with on that point with with sales, it's, it's unfortunate, but it does work when people just continuously harass, like yeah. n- not harass, but you know, continuously contact a company. No, some people do continuously harass. Well, them, it's, yeah. it's that as well. Yeah, I'm trying to be polite to salespeople out there. No, <laughs> the, the, I was one in the past, right? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. taught to do that, and unfortunately, it does work. It, I don't feel like it's the best way to no. represent a brand and, and for the long term gain of a business. Yeah, yeah. But you know, when you're in your early twenties or whatever, and you're just trying to make some commission, yeah. You do those well, it becomes goals. a numbers game, doesn't it? You, you, you just bash out and at some point somebody somewhere will say yes because you hit them at the right time where they're ready to listen, they need something and what you're saying just gels. But it, it, it just becomes a bit lazy to just chuck everything out at everybody. Uh, and actually the conversation, the hard conversation is as, as a business owner is being able to say actually no, you're not right for us. Yeah, and a lot of business owners refuse to do that because it's like, oh, it's a lead, or it's something to grab hold of, or you know, there's a potential there. Well, no, there's not. If you're really honest with yourself, no, there's not. 
So actually save yourself and that person a lot of time and just be honest with them and say, look, we can't give you what you need. doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but that's not us. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but... I think it's good, and, and if you, I, I've experienced it myself more recently. If you if you do, then refer them to somebody else who can deliver a good service, and they do well for that potential client. Um, it comes back to you at some yeah. point, whether it's from the person you referred them to or from the client themselves. Yeah. And just appreciate you being honest and helpful. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, a better way to do it like that. Yeah, and, and yeah, surround yourself with people because you know, you and I both know. You, I certainly don't have all the skills required. Um, for to to be perfect at everything, you know, by not by a long shot. So do you know what? It's taken me many years, but I'm at the point now where I I get it. You know, choose the people that actually will help you. Yeah. Um, and you can help them, so everybody wins. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Makes it a lot nicer and happier environment to be in, doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds like we're in a lovely fluffy world. Yeah. It? It does. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's go back to your career then, which. Might have been nice and fluffy at the time, I don't know, but um, Ultra Trader, Yellow Pages. I'm, I'm interested now to find out how and why you started GDPR Systems. Yeah, so so after Yellow Pages, I went to work for a, a company that went bust, um, which I won't bore you with. And then I ended up at um, this media company in London, small company, uh, sort of owner-managed. Um, as a, I was bought in as part of a government scheme to grow the business. So it's what I was looking for is a bit more senior than everything else. And I spent about two years there, so I commuting from Oxford to London. So I was up at sort of five every day. Um, it was hard. You know, yeah. it, was, it was really tough. Um, and, and the job wasn't easy. And it was to do with physical security, so CCTV, access control, okay. that kind of stuff. So there's quite a good phrase that the, the owner of that business had. He said that there's always money in boring stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares about CCTV. In, in the great populace, it's just like oh, it's a camera. It's a multi-billion-pound industry. So you know, we live in a surveillance state. You know, there's, there's cameras up there. Yeah. So you know, I mean, so I've it. Seen it, them, it yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that's that's the way it is. So you know, access control, your know, biometrics, facial recognition, it's all this kind of stuff. And and so I stayed there for about just under three years, um, and, and then there just came a point. I was dead honest. I'm still friends with them. Uh, I said, look, I'm not what you need for the business now. You know, I think my time's come and gone. So I just. I just left. Yeah. Um, I did some work for them, but I set up a sales training company thinking that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I had a good first year, and then the second year was really, really hard. Um, uh, and I, I, if I'm dead honest with myself, I, I didn't want to be the business. I, I got no interest. So I used to play in bands years ago and play drums. Um, and the analogy I'd use is, is I wouldn't want to be the singer I'd want to be the songwriter. That's interesting because I think I probably would like to either be the lead guitar or the yeah, lead singer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, we were talking last night. We had, I know I'm an introvert. Yeah. I'm not kind of shy about stuff. You know, I'm not sort of backwards in coming forwards, but I know I'm an introvert. You know, I'm quite comfortable with my own company. So, yeah, so it, it was about, um, you know, wanting to be that songwriter. And the sales training business industry is all about you. And there are some people that are really good at it, particularly on LinkedIn. Yeah. They promote themselves in just an awesome way. They're not saying anything in sales training. They're really good that I wasn't training. Yeah. But how they deliver that message is vastly superior to what I was doing. So I went on a dog walk. I've got a dog. Not a field. I live in the countryside. Um, started chat chatting with this bloke who had a, a, a couple of dogs. Um, 
just completely random. We sort of got on. So it sounds like a romantic story. This is. <laughs> so we made our way around and sort of, we just kept talking. So we went out a couple of bike rides and things like that. And then there came a point where we sort of talking about, you know, he said, what do you do? So I'm self-employed, you know, it's tough at the moment kind of thing. Uh, and he was self-employed as well. And he was kind of uh, in software development. Okay. And we went through various different rubbish ideas of how I'm quite good at the customer facing bit and the analytical bit and working stuff out and making it make sense to a customer because customers don't want to be bothered with hassle. They just want something that works and makes their life easier, whatever yeah. it is. And he's not no interest in that. He's all back end kind of thing. Um, some really bad ideas. Uh, go on, give me a, a couple well, if you can. Why did we have? We had one to do with, because one of his friends was a magistrate and we had this, it was to do with CCTV and magistrate courts and providing all of the information about people potentially, or in a magistrate court's defendants that are accused of something, to the right people at the right time. And, and on, on the face of it, 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 it looked like a quite a good idea, just honestly, it was just a rat's nest of stuff that was never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it, it just wasn't. But So we struggled for a while. And then he, uh, he got asked a question by um, one of his friends, he's a doctor, says, in my surgery, we've got CCTV cameras in the car park. He said, what's all this data protection stuff to which, it, and this is like six years ago, seven years ago. And he said, oh, I don't know. So he asked me, I had a look at the law, as in the original text. I was like, oh, okay. Well, he obviously needs help with that. I know a bit about CCTV from yeah, my previous yeah. job. So we built a system that enabled them to be able to do stuff to say what they were doing about data protection, but help them. And then we built another system. And then it's just carried on growing since then. And it's not, I guess where we are now is a massively different set of products and services where we started. But fundamentally, the company was set up because most small businesses don't have access to, um, well, they think they need expensive solicitors for data protection, don't really have any interest in it, apart from they know they've got to comply with the law, don't have the time to go and dig deep and find out anything about it. And because of that, they don't do anything. Yeah. It doesn't make it not a law. Yeah. It doesn't mean, it, I mean that they don't want to comply with their legal requirements. It just means that nobody's helping them. So I, I said to my business partner, I was like, well, we've got to do this. Let's just go and help normal everyday companies. Because the big, the big boys, the big companies, they're all taken care of. They've got yeah. expensive legal teams. They have, you know, uh, everything at their disposal. And they're all fine. You know? So you go on, I don't know. <laughs> Amazon's website, it's got so much jargon and stuff on there, you're never going to take Amazon to court. It's just not going to happen. But your local corner shop that starts posting pictures of CCTV on their social media, well, that's the kind of conversation you would have, wouldn't it? Yeah. So. I, I think the, the other thing for small businesses is they look and see that nobody's really been chased up about GDPR, are they? No, no, not at all. And so that, that's probably a big challenge that you've got, right, is that people just go, well, why? Because I'm not in trouble for not doing anything right yeah, now. Yeah, 100%. So what do you kind of say to that, that, you know? I, I think it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like speeding, isn't it? Look, we all speed because there's not a policeman on every corner. You know, there's not a traffic cop everywhere. Yeah. So the reality is, is you make a decision whether you take the risk or not. And some businesses take the risk and don't do anything about it. 
and others are kind of like, I'd really like to do something, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. And it's probably those ones. I can't change your mind. If you don't want to meet your legal requirements, I can't change yeah. your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not my job, to be honest. That's, you're a business owner. You should be meeting your legal requirements, um, which are wide and varied, to be fair. But if you've got half an interest in it and actually realise you should be doing something, and for your brand and for your business, it's better to say, I'm doing this rather than I'm breaking the law. Yeah. It's the harsh reality. So if you want to say that, that might be on the one side of it, then, yeah, we can help with that, absolutely. I always think, though, as well with these things, is that the the law could change at any point, right? Yeah, it already has, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And they will start chasing on certain elements because, especially with data, it's become almost a currency in itself, yeah. hasn't it? No, it is a currency. I wouldn't say it's almost. Oh. I think it is a currency. I think that there are, you know, you hear, you're hearing the news about data breaches and access to data and there's various things reporting these, which are often inaccurate, by the way, but by the by. So as consumers, we all now have more the ability to control our data more when it's used by other companies. That's our perception. Those companies have a right to use that data, depending on how they've gained that data and what they're going to use it for. And there's a whole myriad of stuff they've got to go through. But nobody wants it in the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at a uh, British embassy pulled out of um, one of the Arab countries. I can't remember the exact country. It's lost me now. But what happened was there were a load of files on... Um, some informants, local informants, people that had worked with the British and US governments on paper. Well, they uh, debugged out the system. They'd gone and get their planes home. And you remember, if you remember on the news, there was people couldn't get home and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. They'd left all the filing cabinets there with the paper in. <laughs> so that, that, those people, I mean, you know, it's not too much of a stretch to say that they, they, they're going to be hunted. Yeah, and that because somebody left a filing cabinet open. Now that's an extreme, extreme example, mm. but the principle sound. You know, you got to look after the stuff you got. How you do it, what you do it for, why you're doing it, and all the rest of it is all the kind of stuff we go through. Yeah, everyone. cool. So your your business now then is is working within the the franchising field, right? So yeah, yeah. How and why did that kind of come about? Well, it, it, as ever with these things, it, it, these things all happen for a reason, don't they? So, so I had we set the system up. So I had a view of my system. So any client, we went through many different types of because we've got a product that's relevant to everyone, right? Yeah. Across the world, potentially, I didn't know where to start. So we tried various different routes. Um, all failed, by the way. <laughs> to some degree, which is fine. But I had a, a, a system, uh, on my system, an overview system, where I could see whether clients had put any assets into the system. That's all I could see. I couldn't see anything else. So it's just a number. And if that number was zero after a month, I'd phone them up saying, look, there's no point having a product if you're paying for it, if you're not going to use it, so I'll help you use it. Because it's fine having stuff you've got to do, but knowing why you're doing it becomes really important. Yes. And that kind of developed the, the consultancy process that we go through. Which, which is most software companies basically want to chuck a software at you and say, right, off you go. There's an instruction manual, crack on. And when you get a problem, yeah. it's all automated and everything else. And I thought, actually, I don't want to do that. I want everybody to win in this scenario. So uh, I spoke to a good friend of mine um, who was working for a fitness franchise. He'd been in franchising for a long time. And his words to me were, this is gold dust. As a franchisor, I can see my whole brand, yeah. my whole network. But my franchisees, who are small businesses, you know, get a lot of support from the franchise or data protection is very rarely one of them. And if it is, it's normally just documents yeah. is the reality. This enables both parties to manage it day to day, week to week. So how much kind of manual work is there for a franchisee? 
So the, the process is, is very simple. So the franchisor signs up for their network. That's pretty much all they do. Uh, depending on where they are with their data protection, we do consultancy with them as, as kind of the head office, if you yeah. like. But then we have one-to-one sessions with every single franchisee, as many as they need, because the, the beauty of franchising is, is there is a consistency across everybody. So lots of the software that they're using, lots of the things they're doing, lots of the ways they're doing it will be very similar. But we both know that two different franchisees in two different locations around the country will run their businesses very different ways because the demographics will be different, the, the kind of the economics will be different, everything will be different. So they'll have to do it differently. And that's reflected in their processes when it comes to processing data. So whilst the principles are the same, actually they're very different. And they need it, the franchisee needs it to be documented relevant to their business because they're a legal entity, right? They're yeah. responsible yeah. for it. it. It stops with them. Yeah. But the franchisor has a vested interest in this as well. So it's incumbent on the franchisor to help the franchisees. And the franchisees, if you're going to buy a business, you just want to know that it's all right. You've got everything ticked off. And we, that consultation process, and they are consultancy sessions. We don't back away from it. They're not just happy, clappy, tick the box sessions. We dig deep into yeah. why they're using the data. Once they've been in business a couple of months, because they need to understand their business. Um, and we take each individual franchisee through their journey. So at the end of it, they are, if somebody says to them, what are you doing for data protection? They can kind of go, well, that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of work, but we do it because of the system enables us to do it quickly. You're probably talking, uh, we, we, have, we book two hour sessions. So. I don't know three or four two-hour sessions over the course of however long. So it's at their leisure. Yeah. yeah. I, see, I didn't realise it was so in depth. Yeah, yeah. I, I did think, um, like you said, there was a bit of software. You hand it over and show them how to run it, and, and, and kind it doesn't of work. Go off you go. It doesn't work yet because you know. All right. The, the software asks you what your lawful basis for processing that data for that particular purpose is. Why would um, I don't know a coffee shop know what their lawful basis is? You know, you know, we work with Home Instead, um, which are processing obviously lots of health data because that's the nature of the business. Why wouldn't they know their additional lawful basis? Why would they? That's like asking yeah. me to go and deliver healthcare. I've got a vague idea, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not a safe bet, really. To get me in there. <laughs> you know, I'm not that way inclined. I don't know what to do. And have yeah. been trained on it. I don't have the experience, so that's what we. I guess the weight that we take off the franchisee is to just say, look, let's just have this process. By the end of the whole process, you'll know more. You'll learn more. You'll be in a position where you can demonstrate an evidence where you are. You'll be transparent about stuff to the point where you're seeing prospects, new clients, and you're saying, look, um, this is what we do with your data. I think it's interesting from a perspective of somebody who's coming into a franchise brand, so about to become a franchisee. Yeah. You know, would I go to a franchise and go, oh, have they got GDPR in place? Probably not. No. But if they mentioned it to me, I go, oh, right, I, yeah. I know these guys are serious and actually they're taking care of all angles. It's, it's weird, isn't it? So I'm not going out there looking for it, but yeah, when yeah. I see it, it's actually quite It's It's peace of mind at the end of the yeah. day. And, and look, they'll they have the conversation about finances, they'll talk about accountants, they'll talk about marketing. Um, the franchisor will talk about health and safety. Um, talk about banking. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, talk about um, systems like CRM systems or whatever specific systems they've got for managing data when they get it. The good ones talk about data protection, and they go, "Well, you get this. There's no choice. Yeah, you do this. We talk about data protection for everyone else. You're right. It might be the differentiator." And actually, I was talking to uh, a Home Instead franchisee a new one the other day 
and she used to work for another uh, home care franchise. Okay. Um, well, good a, one. A staff. Uh, yeah, yeah, a staff. And, and oh, staff, I'm going to posh now, staff. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, why did you choose home instead then? She said, because the way they do everything um, and what they offer, and actually one of, this is one of the things that I don't know anything about data protection. So I don't, I don't know what's involved in this process. Obviously, we explain all of that, but nobody else was offering that. So it's the small things that make a big difference in when everything else is fairly close. Yeah, I, I was trying to think the other day just uh, about, about franchises in general and what's what's the differentiator between mm. them. And yeah, most of them give training and support on an ongoing basis and they've got marketing materials that can be used and a website you can yep. refer people back to. So it's all of those things pretty much every brand has. Yeah. Uh, okay, there's some differences when there's helping set up a site or whatever. Yeah, there's differences in quality of, of attention to detail uh, and stuff like that, of course. Yeah, but. yeah, of course, and different products and different brands. But there's not too many differentiators out there. So um, I, I, don't, I didn't come into this thinking, let's see if <laughs> make you a differentiator. But I, ca- I can see that as as being a big part of like the, the, the reason why a company could um, get involved with you, do you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm not just trying to s- sort of sell you here, but I, I actually do genuinely see it as a quite it important is, and look, it, it's We know it's one of those things that nobody's got a real desire or interest in. That's the reality. Yeah. You know, whether people in data protection want to admit that or not is a different question, but nobody does. All right? People do care, but they don't have any burning desire to go and do it. So having somebody take the weight off, um, and, and I think it comes back to you know what, what do we want to achieve when, I, when we set it up? I, I wanted everyone to win. Yeah. So, you know, I want the client to win, you know, the franchisee, because they should feel supported. They should feel that they are prepared, that they are covered, that they have knowledge um, to answer any questions. Um, the franchisor, well, they should feel exactly the same with the added knowledge that they can look at where their network is and pick out any, because there's always non-performing franchisees or lower-performing franchisees, so if they haven't done stuff on their system, we need to red flag that. If they haven't logged any breaches, we need to red flag that and stuff, so they have a dashboard where they can see the whole network, which is, again, nobody else does. Yeah. And, of course, you know, we want to get paid for it. You know, I don't shy away from that. It's a, We offer good value yeah. um, for, for a relatively small monthly fee. So um, I, I think it's, it's... I've not had any franchisee come back to me and I ask for testimonials all the time. And so, oh, that's crap. Not interested in that. They've all come out and go, I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but actually that's really useful. And I feel better now. Yeah. And that's the thing, they feel better. I think everyone's sort of had it in the back of their mind mm. since GDPR come in that, oh, God, I've got to do something about it. I just don't know what, like you say. And, and that's, you're kind of taking away that pain from them, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an itch that we can help them scratch. Yeah. Essentially. Um which is and it, and it seems to be working. So we we sort of found our niche in, in franchising because there's that need from the franchisor and there's that need from the franchisee. The challenge is is speaking to the the right franchisors that, to put it bluntly, actually give a monkeys about data protection. <laughs> yeah. Because it has to be from top down. Because I know the franchisees don't really care because they're, they're just starting a business. Yeah. You know, it's hard enough to start a business even with all the support of a franchisor. Chucking this on to them. It's just too much. They, it won't enter their radar. So it has to be led by the franchisors. So then finding the franchisors that have it as part of their franchise standards, um, see it as part of, if you're going to run a successful business, this needs to be part of the mix. Um, those are the ones that we tend to work with. So I guess there are certain sectors maybe or, or types of brand that 
I'm more aligned to that. So maybe you say say in healthcare. Are, are there any others? Yeah, so healthcare is a good one. We, we're talking to another three healthcare providers at the moment um, because there's kind of a well, they process, process a bucket load of health data fundamentally. So, but yeah, fitness. We've got a couple okay. of fitness companies on board. So you think gyms? Yeah. Uh, the kind of data they. Pro- I mean, technically, it's for everyone. But look, I, I'm dead realistic about this. Um, if you've got a franchise network of, uh, you know, one person in a van that doesn't really have any personal data or very, very, very limited, no employees, nothing else. I, do you know what? It's probably overkill to use us yeah. um, is the reality. And I'm dead honest about that. Um, but then you think you know, some of the people in the kiddie sector, and they all differ. Some of them have got big networks now. And from the franchisor perspective, that they have a brand to protect. Yeah. And, and you know, whether it involves me or not, uh, or what we do or not, there's a banana skin potential there. Because all it takes is one person to ask a question. You know, I've said to you before, simple questions are often the most difficult ones. Is, and, and if they turn and say, what are you doing my data? A lot of people don't know how to answer it. Yeah. And like you say, that, that can damage the brand if yeah, you yeah. Know, the press pick it up or something like this. Yeah, often, as we know, you know, perception is very different from reality. Um, but, you know, if something gets into the press, it's very often inaccurate. But that doesn't mean the damage isn't done. Yeah, it, it, because it goes on the internet, and as yeah. soon as you do a search, yeah, the article 100%. comes up, doesn't it? You know, so. so, so I think there's a few more industries we want to get into, or, or parts we want to do. So, like um, kiddie daycare places, we're looking at those. Um, some children's um, activity providers, as I say. Uh, we've got uh, a few. Obviously, I can't mention who, but food and beverage, yeah, um, because they all have CCTV in their stores. Um, yeah. uh, they all have employee data, they all have to have health and safety stuff because, you know, food and beverage using knives and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so there's lots of different variations. But if, even some something like McDonald's now, they you can sign up and use their app, right? Yeah. So they've got data there yeah. from... Yeah. from their customers who want it delivered, you know, off the back yeah, of the app. Yeah, you're so. going gonna to start me off in a minute, but but then that depends who, who's the controller for the data. So is that McDonald's or is that the franchisee? Are they both controllers? Are they independent? Are they joint? Yeah. Is one a processor? And this this is, I was talking to Vicky Mittman a few weeks back, and this is something that we had a good chat about it. In a few weeks, we're going to do some kind of, I don't know, webinar or something. Because I don't think franchisors are aware um, that... They have a relationship of data with their franchisees, but they're both independent companies. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know what I don't know at the moment, but they're, they're, I don't think it's covered off. So I'm waiting on a couple of franchise agreements to come to me to just check through. Actually, what they do currently say, and what should it be? Yeah. Because um, that, that's a rat's nest of a mess for a lot of franchisors <laughs> I can imagine be. especially when you start to then put in the international element to yeah, it yeah well. yeah 100%, 100% and of course we're not in the EU anymore no so, exactly so. Know, <laughs> so the landscape's changed in t- the time since the law came in the landscape's changed and we've just got a new data protection bill that's gone uh, up to the House of Lords I think it is um, that, that's looking likely to be passed which has changed things again not massively to be fair but and it's all this stuff. So I think I said to you, before, I live in two worlds. I live in a data protection world, and I live in the franchising world. Yeah. And it's kind of there's, there's not an easy marriage of of the two really, because franchisees and franchisors just want to grow their businesses. Yeah. Um, so there's a, that icky bit in the middle where we sit really. Yeah, but that's you're doing the the hard legwork on 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 that side of the GDPR yeah. kind of side. <clears throat> So that it allows them to go out there and build their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Don't absolutely. have to worry about it. So I think that's really good. But um, 
I'm conscious of time, so okay. I'm going to um, go on to my standard three questions that I ask everybody. Okay. I can't remember what these are, so this should be fun. <laughs> so, any funny, strange or weird stories is the first one. Do you know what? I only have one come into my head, and it's from like a lifetime ago. So when I worked at Halfords, all right, so I worked in the cycle section. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember that at Halfords. It was oh. at the back of the store. My favourite section of the store. Yeah, 100%. And, and there was like a desk, and at the time it was a short desk the cycle repairs and all that kind of yeah. stuff and it was all done out the back um, and you saw this person walking so it was opposite the front doors in this particular store so I saw this person running down really got a carrier bag in their hand like fuming properly fuming so yeah, it was like one of those things where a volunteer stepped forward everybody else just left and I was just stood there and I couldn't have been above 16, 17 <laughs> I was probably about 17 so I was only a kid um, and this guy just bangs this thing on the desk and he starts screaming and shouting, oh, I want a refund, this is faulty, I'm really, I'm properly got spit coming out and things. <laughs> and I just stood there and he finished what he was saying and I just went silent. What are you going to do about it? I said, sir, that's a kettle and Dixon's is next door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> at, at which point he just picked up the bag and sort of walked out sheepishly. But but actually, I, I, I think of that because I don't I don't tend to panic. Yeah. And I think of the times with Autotrader walking onto forecourts where people are screaming at you, so I don't really panic about stuff, which is sort of learned at an early age, so just let people have their say. Yeah. It's fine. You know, there's no point interrupting him. He's not going to listen. Yeah. He's just screaming blue murder at me. It, it's good though. I wonder what was wrong with the kettle though. I've, I've no idea. I, I, I can't imagine. I wasn't going to follow him out because uh, <laughs> after you've done the calm bit, your heart starts going and you're sort of mildly panicking, aren't you? I just can't imagine what gets somebody so riled up with a kettle. I guess there must have been something else. Well, did you know what? That, it might have been a ten pound kettle and that might have been struggling to pay that ten pound to buy that kettle and it broke. Yeah, but you get a better response out of. Uh, you know, the customer service advisor on the other side of the desk. Who yeah, just... but this is talking in 2022. This is like back in the day, though, isn't it? So, you know, yeah, maybe shop assistants weren't exactly people to be respected or they weren't respected. Yeah, a lot. They were just you were the grunts, weren't you? I suppose so. I suppose yeah. so. Yeah. But um, my second question then is, uh, it's probably not going to be this the same moment. It's <laughs> what's your proudest or most inspirational moment in your career? I think... Weirdly, I look back now and and I think, and this, I don't like these questions because it makes me sound like I'm blowing smoke up my own back end, <laughs> but I think starting this company in my career, because I wanted to run a company, I want the company to stand for something and doing things the right way, and I want things to be right for the customer, which is why we, the growth that we're seeing is measured growth. I'm not interested in just growing it for the sake of growing. It has to be the right customers with the right mentality, with the right uh, integrity and values that align. Yeah. And, and that, that, all that other experience of all those other jobs has kind of led me to that point, I think. And we're not stopping, obviously. You know, it, it, it's, that was almost the beginning of the journey or another journey. But I look back at all the, the sales conferences I went on, all the... The stuff where I was managing teams and laying out forecasts and planning, uh, writing emails, having staff write emails and communication, all that to customers that were unhappy, dealing with complaints, angry customers and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just put me in a position now to run this company the right way. I've yeah. seen enough of how not to do it or how I wouldn't do it. And I tried to do everything the right way. 
It's difficult though, isn't it? Because yeah. it's quite tempting to, like you say, uh, said earlier, just to take the easy lead that comes through. Yeah, and say, yeah. yeah I'll sell it to you and not worry. But no, and and I've refused to work with some companies because it's just not right. Yeah, it's just not right. It it, it would it wouldn't be a long term mutually beneficial relationship. I'd do a lot of running around that they see no value in it. I've got to work hard for this. Yeah. As a company, we have to work hard for this. So all of my clients, there's a there's a really open, honest relationship with, with the, the owners of or the, the head of the franchise or the people in charge because it has to be transparent. It has to be. you know. Yeah. So there's a mutual respect there that if, if I sell you, it's a load of rubbish. It probably is a load of rubbish. And they tell me often, yeah, we need this sorting, we need this sorting. Uh, or this could be better. Great, absolutely great. Because I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So if you're pointing out something that needs improving, perfect. Yeah. So it works really well. Yeah. It's but, just but, a slower road to get to yeah. where you want to get to. <laughs> but it, like you say, it's something to be proud of that you've actually stuck to your guns and, and built something. That's, yeah, yeah. That's but, what you set out to it's achieve. It's taken so. 25, 30 years to to understand what I wanted to do. So. Yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I I feel like. Um, it took me a long time to realise who I am, let alone yeah. what I wanted to do. Um, and maybe people that are listening to this are thinking, what am I going to do in my career and what direction am I, am I going to go in? Just, I think, just sit down and have a conversation with yourself. Look back at those yeah. experiences that you've had in the past, what was good, what was bad, yeah. and list it out almost. So you've got it there visually. And then it, I think from there you can help yourself to, to understand, okay, these are the things I'm good at, these are the things I didn't like in my, my career. This is how we get. This is the best way for me to mm. move forwards, and whether that's for a franchise or through set, starting your own business like you have, um, yeah. I think it, it's interesting, I, though, I isn't think it? Because the the constant challenge is um, doing things the right way doesn't necessarily pay your bills. Mm. And when you start business, which is why fundamentally, I wish I'd discovered franchising twenty years ago. <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> the idea of starting a business has been with me for many, many, many years. Didn't know what. Didn't know how didn't know didn't have the money didn't want to take the risk um all fear fundamentally yeah. um so finally you get to a point in life where i sort of go well what's the worst that can happen and do it and look it's all good but you know we're the business is officially five years old but we've been doing it for the best part of seven years with developments and everything else so this, this hasn't happened overnight and yeah. only now we're at a stage where we've we, we know our market we know how to help our market and now we've got to find the right people in that market that we want to work with and that don't want to work with us. So it, it's not an overnight thing and there are, to anybody that, that, as you say, is listening to this, that's thinking of starting their own business, honestly, the headache that the franchise all takes away from you, you, you won't ever know what that headache is if you go down the franchising route. But there's so much, there's so much to do. I, th I think we're in a kind of unique position though where we're in the franchise and industry, both of us mm. as a supplier to the industry, really. Yeah. And so we can actually see the benefits that all the franchisees yeah, have yeah. got, but we've, we're have we contrasting that by experiencing something completely different ourselves. Because yeah. I, I'm finding it right now that yeah. actually it'd be nice to have someone take GDPR yeah. off my hands and, you know, have the franchise or arrange all of that and I just turn up and say, yeah, I'll fill that in as you want. And yeah. Do we need? That'd be great. Yeah. But instead I've got to try and trawl through data and, and try and understand, you know, what it is I'm supposed to be doing because when you start your own business, no one tells you. No, no one writes down a, you know, step ten step um, to success. You know, yeah, that actually yeah. makes sense and is useful. Yeah, it's. Um, 
Turns out they do. It's called franchising. (laughs) 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 Who knew? Perfect. So um, my final question is, if um, you're speaking to somebody who was about to invest in a a franchise business or, you know, investigating, uh, investing in a franchise license, what would your biggest one piece of advice be? Um, so obviously I, I listen to the podcast and I've heard this a lot and you hear a lot of answers, rightly so, about, you know, do something you're passionate about, um, check the financials, all of that stuff. I think I'd go a slightly different route. Um, uh, and I'd probably say get off your arse. Um, because as good as franchising is, it is not a substitute for hard work. You know, you set up a business in your local area you have to go knock on doors, you have to do the social media stuff, you have to do the other marketing, you have to be there to get the business. And this this is a, a I see this a lot um, with some franchises, or have seen it, I should say, where people buy a franchise and think, oh, that's all right, I'll wait for the business to come to me now. Yeah. No, get off your ass. go and do something, go and find that business. And the ones that do that and think, how can I make this money? Because that's the hard thing. You've got to make money. You've given all the tools, all the templates, everything else, but they can't give you the hard work or the attitude. Yeah. So go and make it happen. Nothing happens unless you make it happen. So go and make it happen. And that means going and knocking on that door. If if you're in the, the kiddie activity sector, go to your local kiddie groups. You know, go to the local schools or the preschools, you know, whatever it may be, just get up and go and do it. Yeah, go and find those people. Yeah, because it doesn't even have to be sort of the face to face interactions nope. that you mentioned there, like online. Yeah. Or, create, or start your own group. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it's just, if you know what your audience is, which you will, because you bought a franchise, if you know what you sell, because you do, because you bought a franchise, if you know how it works, because you do, because you bought a franchise, if you know all the operations stuff and the accounting and the finance and everything else, and you do, because you've got a franchise, the only thing I can't do is give you the business. Yeah. So actually go find it. And I'll give you help to find it, by the way. Yeah. So the, the, the only thing that's got to happen is you have to work your proverbials off to make it happen. And I think, I still remain convinced that some people go into franchising thinking, I bought a business, I'm just going to sit back and wait for it to happen. Yeah. And and it just doesn't work like that. That's why sometimes I find the business in a box phrase a bit challenging. Yeah. yeah. Because it almost sounds like it, you're just buying the business and then it will run itself. But yeah, it's not like that, is it, at all? No, not at all, not at all. So, but I've seen the flip side of that where people have got off their arse as franchisees and they are flying, like they're properly flying. Because they don't have to worry about all the other stuff. They can just concentrate on getting the business was their attitude. Because all the other stuff kind of is done yeah. to a degree. You've got to get to learn how systems and stuff, but that's easy. All the rest of it is taken care of from the good franchisors, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, you know, I can just, all I've got to do is go out and get business. Okay. Yeah. That's relatively easy. Seems doable for, yeah. for a lot of people, doesn't it? And, yeah. and that's when you, I think, then see people start to buy another franchise and another one mm. and they kind of bolt them all in yeah, together 100%. under a different group that they then call ed group or whatever yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. and, and that, that then becomes this different empire that um, there's, a, there's a large move towards that sort of multi-franchise unit uh, specialist um uh, there's a lot more um there's almost in some areas there's almost becoming three levels so you have the franchise or then you'll have like a master franchisee and then you'll have the individual franchisee stores so th- there are some operators that will have like 10 master franchisees in the uk for specific areas and each one of those 10 will have like 20 franchisees under them 
So there's, there's like that font, it's a bad word, but that kind of pyramid effect. It's not pyramid, I appreciate, yeah. but it's kind of like it, it works, everybody wins in that scenario. Yeah. So, uh, which is good. I think it's why I like it. I like the people in franchising. I think that uh, as a community, particularly through the pandemic, it was slightly weird in a really positive way to see that people from completely different industries are just coming together to share ideas because everybody was screwed by the, unless you were in healthcare, to be fair, which you were also, but that was at the other end, yeah, ridiculously yeah. busy. For most businesses, they, they had nothing. So actually the support that came out of the community was... Um, and, and that's how we started a lot of our conversations in that part because I, I I just tried to help where I could. Yeah, it was really inspiring, wasn't it? The, yeah. the whole thing. So uh, yeah, it's a great industry to be a part of. But um, I'm going to end things there okay. and say thank you so much for your time and for for sharing your um, career journey and telling us a bit more about GDPR systems. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, Simon. Thanks, Ed. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So there we go. That was my conversation with Simon Bishop, the co-founder of GDPR Systems. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a really good experience being face-to-face and running a a podcast interview for a change. Um, For about 18 months now, I've been doing them over Zoom. So really nice to have uh, somebody there live and in in person. And as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the video recordings over on YouTube, if you wanted just to check it out and, and see what's going on there under the channel, The Franchised. Anyway, back to, to this interview So and my thoughts. So um, th- I think the thing that really stood out for me is um, the differentiator part of the conversation. So GDPR is one of those topics and data protection that's just... <laughs> I have to be honest, not within my wheelhouse of interest, and I don't think it is for many people. I think most people find it pretty dull, to be honest. But um, I love the fact that Simon and, and you know his team are, are taking that um, boring task off people's hands, allowing them just to, to, to do the very simple elements of it and um, know that they're secure in their business. But what I mean by the differentiator is that the businesses that don't have that the franchisees that join their networks um, okay maybe they just don't care so much about it but if you're running through a list of okay what does this franchise brand have against this franchise brand you know just having that as an additional element that that can make a bit of a difference it's a bit of a differentiator and I I think actually subconsciously um, I would think okay these guys are a pretty serious bunch they are looking at every single angle of this business and making sure that it's covered and that it I don't need to do anything myself and I think that's kind of reassuring um, another part of me thinks are they going to be sticklers all the time for stuff but <laughs> I guess it depends on what sort of suits you you best really but um, I think I'd quite like to have um, that comfort there and knowing that the franchise brand is one that looks at things from all angles um, the other piece that Simon mentioned there as well, and I think we kind of brushed over it a bit quickly, so I, I wanted to elevate that in this kind of wrap-up really, and that's the fact that there's money to be made in boring or dirty work, so to speak. Um, the more people I've spoken to in the, the franchise and industry over the years, the more I've realised that the the, the the franchise sectors that are doing really well or, or have high potential for, for um, earnings are things like the service industry so that's cleaning gutter cleaning window cleaning oven cleaning 
Um, so all those different variations of cleaning, but maybe it's um, in construction or shutters and doors. The stuff that generally people would find pretty dull to talk about and get involved with. Actually, that's where there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of money. Uh, and I think someone obviously recognised that because GDPR is, yeah, not the sexiest topic out there, but there's there's opportunity in these places. So if you are sitting here thinking, okay, I want to have a look at. Um, you know some franchise brands where do I even start yeah don't don't always go for the ones that look exciting and shiny like maybe some some of the marketing ones or food and beverage you know catch your eye pretty quickly M- make sure you check out the numbers and the, the, the factors behind some of the um, yeah less sexy brands let's call them because there's there's lots of opportunity there as well and and actually if it's to go around your lifestyle or, or, or change something in your your life actually that might be a better option anyway so definitely worth checking out those those other sectors as well but um that's enough from me hopefully you've enjoyed that conversation and um, you got something out of it um if you enjoyed it and and you want to find more of these podcasts um make sure you you go and hit subscribe or follow us on linkedin facebook instagram tiktok youtube wherever you want to find us uh we're on all the good podcast sites as well so spotify amazon music apple uh yeah wherever you get your podcasts from or finally you can find out a bit more about us and the the franchise community on www.thefranchise.com and then my last shout out of course goes to the sponsors for this podcast symphony um so you can find them at www.symphony.co.uk forward slash disenfranchised and yeah if you're a franchise or a franchisee they're a, a great starting point to make sure that you're not missing out on any opportunities for your business so thank you very much once again for listening and i'll catch you on the next one bye bye